the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are not under law, but under grace. But does that mean we can go on and sin so that grace may abound? Paul says, God forbid. We'll take a look at this dynamic throughout the rest of this week here on Abounding Grace. Join us. When it comes to our salvation, what it is that merits us towards God, what is it that God takes a look at and says, hey, I like that, you're mine. Is it obedience to the law? Not at all, says the Apostle Paul. It's grace that saves us, as he says in Ephesians, through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. So back here in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, Paul elaborates on this a bit. Let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner for today's message called Not Under the Law, But Grace. Here's Gary. Not under law, but grace. Again, let's read verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, along with judge not that you be not judged, this is probably one of the most abused lines in all of Scripture. You are not under the law. Hallelujah, some say. We can practice antinomianism then. And for you who don't know, antinomian means against the law. We don't have to worry about it any longer. Some speak against God's law with such violence and even mockery at times that one wonders if more is at work than just ignorance, as if there is not a deep-seated hatred against God because his law is not written on their hearts. Some are not quite as bold. They will just say, well, you know, The Old Testament is full of some pretty good stories and examples for us. But in terms of obeying God, the Old Testament is more fit for dogs than it is for Christians. There are all kinds of issues, aren't there? When we start talking about we are not under the law, but under grace. And of course, there is always the libertines stalking about They're always crying out things like grace, 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 Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. But they do not understand these things any more than a blind man can describe a beautiful sunset. How in the world, in this letter, could the statement we are not under the law, which actually doesn't have a definite article in the Greek, it says we not under we are not under the law but under grace if you see in your text it says we are not under law but under grace how in the world in this letter could that statement be taken to mean these types of things 
take a, let's take a perusal um, for just a minute and look first at Romans 3.31, beginning in verse 30, actually. Romans 3, verse 30. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forget, forbid. Yea, we established the law. Of course, if you remember, all of chapter 6 is about holiness, and you run into verses like 15 and 16 of chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Know you not that to whom you yield yourself, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom obey? Verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine or teaching which has delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you become the slaves of righteousness. Look at chapter 7, verse 12. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Verse 22 of chapter 7. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do... In that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for flesh, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And of course, if we take a broader view, how in the world could this verse be used? To justify casual sinning, cheap grace, ignorance of the Ten Commandments or any of God's laws anywhere in Scripture. In fact, our Savior in his first public sermon said, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law. I have not come to destroy it, but to confirm it, to fulfill it, to show its true glory and efficacy and give you the power to keep it. Please turn now to Mark chapter 7, verse 8. And you'll see here a strong statement here to the Pharisees who are are often wrongly called the forerunners of those who would encourage God's people to keep God's word today. The legalists, they say. To be concerned about obedience and duty. Legalists? That's what you and I are, they say? No. Because that's not what the Pharisees were. They were not zealous for God's law. Mark 7, beginning in verse 5. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the law of God? Is that what it says? You're looking at your your text? It doesn't say that. It says, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of God? elders but eat bread and with unwashed hands 
And what did Jesus say then? Oh, no, we better keep all those man-made laws. No. He answered and said unto them. Now, he probably didn't say it like I'm going to read it because he undoubtedly said it with a sharpness. But he said, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. You see, that is what legalism is. Don't buy all these screamers of grace out there who are saying, if we are concerned about the Ten Commandments, or we are concerned as Christians gratefully obeying God's law, we are legalist. That is not what a legalist is. A legalist is someone who makes it all up. But someone devoted to God's law in Jesus Christ was a man like King David who said, I am devoted to God's law in my inner man. You see, legalists add to the law. The commandments of men. So again, we go to other passages on this subject, like John, that sweet, loving disciple who reclined on Jesus' breast in the upper room, who said in 1 John 5, 2, and here he is defining sin for us. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. And to not love God and keep his commandments is sin. Do we love God? Ask yourself. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. They are not burdensome. And of course, John later in Revelation fourteen twelve, Do you remember? How he described the saints. He said here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who have the faith of Jesus Christ. And keep the commandments of God. But the worst problem with using this line back in Romans 6. Where you are not under the law but under grace. Does that mean I I don't have to obey God anymore? If so. Do we then, what do we do then with the cross? What do we do with the cross? Why then did Jesus die on the cross? Was it to set a moral example for us? No. He died, said Peter in 1 Peter 3, 8, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, the law keeper for the law breaker. So he took all of the curses against us for our law breaking and paid their whole penalty on the cross. Now, since he suffered for our sins and bore the curse for our law breaking, there is no way that grace then frees us to take up the sword of justice and play with it. Because that is what sin is. Sin, says John in 1 John 5, 2, is breaking God's commandment. So if grace means we don't have to worry about the law, 
often what grace is being used as is an excuse to take up that very sword that killed Jesus, our law-breaking, God's curse inflicting and striking down the shepherd. And that means then we can play loose with sin and perish the thought. No one who has tasted the Lord is that tasted that the Lord is kind. No one who has been taught by the Holy Spirit the tremendous price that the Son of God paid to redeem us from our sins, even His precious blood, that is now okay not to worry about obedience, that it is okay to sin casually, even to test God, testing your sonship. No, these things are not the gospel. These things are perversions of the gospel. We've got to get rid of all the negatives. Let's go right to the positives. Notice an astounding promise in verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. So what is sin? Sin, again, simply is breaking God's commandments. What has sin done to us? Sin has made us want to hide from God. Sin has filled our souls with guilt, guilt of being found out, guilt of being exposed. Sin has weakened us. It has blinded our minds. It has made our wills not want what God wants, but what we and Satan and sin want. It's made our affections twisted, so we delight now in that which displeases God. Sin is a horrible thing. Sin was bringing us to hell. Many people right now, some you know are languishing in hell because of the destructive rule of sin. But for those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have God's own promise that sin will not have dominion, that its rule, its power, its tyranny has been broken in his sons and daughters. Now, the reason Paul says this again, and really it's a summation of what he has been saying, is because we need encouragement. Because as Calvin said, when it comes to obeying God, the best of us walk lamely. We don't like to sin anymore, if we are Christians. But don't we oftentimes, with Paul, say, the evil I don't want to do, I find myself doing so we look around in our lives and we see a lot that displeases God and it displeases us but it's still there and it's nagging and there are temptations and it springs up within us and then we look around at the world and it's just sin run amok all kinds of wickedness glorified and encouraged now in this culture But this is nothing new. It has become virtue. And lies have become truth. We wonder, what is going to become of us? Maybe the sin in our lives is evidence we don't really know the Lord. That we are really lost. So we better try again. Try harder to obey God again. Try to do something to win myself in to God's <clears throat> grace. Excuse me. 
No, we have to begin with God's promise and what he has done because we certainly cannot save ourselves. We don't even help God save us. He alone saves us and he says, (coughs) sin will not have dominion over you. Why does he tell us that? Because at the outset, when we go to war against God and think of your worst sins here, Think of the ones that hold on to you that you have been fighting against for years. Doesn't it make a world of difference for God in his mercy to come to you, maybe now in the middle of the battle, or or maybe for some of you when you just started out and are at the beginning of the battle, and he says, listen, I've already won this thing. My son has already died to sin. He is alive to God. He lives for you. And sin will not have dominion over you. So verse 12, resist. Verse 13, yield yourself to God. Fight this warfare, but fight it with God's promise that sin will not ultimately prevail. Now, it doesn't mean that sin may not prevail at this moment. But it means as we fight it, as we make use of the means that God has given to us, Jesus will share his victory with us. And that is where we have got to go if we are to partake of his promise. You know, the father made his son a promise that he would crush Satan's head, right? (coughs) But do you know that is your promise too? But only if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, if you do not know the love of the Savior, if you're not repenting of your sin and seeking to be clothed with His righteousness, His obedience, and forsaking your own, there is no promise that sin will not reign over you. In fact, it is most certain that sin will reign over you and tyrannize you forever into hell. So by all means today, Repent and come to Christ because then the promise is yours. And it is because it is his that sin will not rule over you. The promise that God the Father made to his son as our head becomes our promise. So we have got to abide in Christ, do we not? If we are going to have and enjoy the promise of sin not reigning over us. Well, how do we do this? how do we partake of Christ? We have to abide in his word. I'm so thankful to God in his mercy for sending men and women into my life and encouraging me to memorize scripture, scripture, to know it well. And now I realize why I need to memorize and meditate on God's word and actually fight my fleshly tendency to think my own thoughts And to veg out and to listen to the world's songs while I'm driving in the car rather than meditating on God's word or listening to it on a device. It's very simple. It is not profound. It is because it is the very word of Christ. The reason we should meditate on scripture is not because it is words in a holy book. It is because it is the word of the word. It is the word of the son of God and savior of sinners. And he said to us, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
what you will and it is uh, ask what you will and it will be done for you. He says you will bear fruit. In fact, he says you will bear much fruit. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.9 that the knowledge of Jesus, if your knowledge is heavenly, if it really comes from God, you will not be barren or unfruitful. You will be fruitful because he is a righteous branch. And he has all the vigor and all the energy and all the sap that he needs to overcome the sins in our lives. Why? Because he has already overcome all of our sins. He's already died to the power of sin. He let sin have its way with him for a brief hour. He said to the Roman armies and the Jews, now is your hour and the power of darkness. He gave himself that for an hour, but only an hour. And his life and righteousness swallowed up the curse of sin. And he lives and he rose for our justification. And sin will not have any more dominion over him. He is done with it. And if you abide in him and his word abides in you, and you walk with him and you will see the march of his victory in your life. You will see it. God does not lie. Jesus Christ is not a weak savior. He can bring you out of your lust. He can bring you out of your lies. He can bring your marriage out of the fog of bitterness and hurt feelings. He can bring your heart, young people, out of the misery of rebellion and inwardness and fear and your sunkenness into your own selfishness. He can do all of that and so much more. But we've got to walk with him. You might say, yeah, but my faith is small. Oh, my friends, it doesn't matter. Peter walked on the waves, we know, with very little faith, very weak. But it's not the strength of my faith. It's not the amount of my faith. It is the one to whom faith looks. And as long as Peter was weak, and we know he was very prideful, the Lord had not yet really broken him. But as long as he looked at the Son of God, he walked on the waves. Because all virtue, all power, all life, all grace, all strength, everything we need comes from the Son of God. Who is now arisen from the dead with healing wings. And he says, I'll heal you today. I'll heal your tongue. I'll heal your lustful heart. I'll heal your out of control addiction. To whatever it may be, I'll heal. Come to me. Walk with me. Abide in me. To that, I would add that his rule for receiving this victory is ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Matthew 7, 7. All that can be summarized as calling upon him. Have you ever noticed the people in the Gospels? <clears throat> People who have a sense of need don't sit around and look at their neediness in those Gospels. The lame man didn't sit around and say, woe is me, I'm lame. Maybe there's a government program for this. I'm a victim of bad genes or whatever. No. He said, 
I need you guys to carry me to Jesus, my only hope. What do you want from me, said the Lord to the leper. Lord, you can heal me. Lord, I want to receive my sight, said the blind man. So we have to be calling upon the Lord. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that verse is not just for the initial time of salvation. That verse is for everything we need to be saved throughout the whole course of our lives. And when is that? Every single moment. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 8665607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.